Welcome to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you would hear, be challenged, and encouraged by this week's teaching. Head to gospelcitynow.com for more information. Now, the passage that Pastor Jose just read, Hebrews 4, uh, 1 through uh, 13, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to realize what that passage is about, right? It's it's about rest, right? And uh, it's mentioned in the text numerous times. And so today, we're going to try to discover what is rest and then how do we get it? How do we enter into that rest? And, and if I ask the question, who here needs more rest uh, yeah, I think, well, yeah, me, sign me up for, for more rest. But, but what is it? What does that mean? Because, you know, obviously we live in a, in a world that is enamored by rest, right? Like we, we work for the weekends, right? And, uh, and we, or we, we save up all of our time and all of our money so that we can leave out from work for a period of time and go on vacation, or if we can't afford to do that, don't have the time to do that, we kind of look for vacation in a bottle or a smoke or a, or a pill, right? Like we're trying to uh, numb, get a numb from the normal in some capacity, right? And, and so we're, uh, this elusive rest, is we're always chasing. But I want to kind of argue today that rest isn't just an escape uh, fr- from exhaustion, uh, but rest is meant to be uh, for Christ's exaltation. And, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, and, and you've, you've realized this. I mean, you've gone on vacation, and then you come back from vacation, and you need a vacation from your vacation. And what did you do on vacation? Nothing but sat on the beach and under an umbrella, a Corona, and a suntan lotion or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden you get home, and you're like, man, I'm so tired. Why? Well, maybe that's not what gives us rest. Maybe there's something greater that gives us rest, right? Uh, Maybe it's not just spending time not working, though that's a part of it. But maybe rest is bigger than that. And uh, and how do we how do we get this? And I want to argue that that this biblical concept of rest is uh, a, a bit bigger than taking a nap or going on vacation, but is a great theological concept that if we could get, uh, would really impact our lives uh, for, for the better. And I, I think we see that in the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4. He, he's continuing his exposition of Psalm 95. That's, he started that in chapter 3. He's continuing it in chapter 4. And, and there's really kind of some discrepancies on Um, what kind of rest he's talking about and when. But I want to break it down in three kind of rests that he's talking about. And Pastor Jose is going to love this because they all start with C. And uh, he he loves alliteration, so he's influencing me, okay? Uh, So the first one we're going to see, first kind of rest we're going to see is creation rest. Uh, Then we're going to see a Canaan rest. And then we're going to see a cross rest. Rest. Now, I didn't realize this until this morning that I have to say that slow because if you say it fast, it sounds like cross dress, and I don't want to do that. Okay? So, cross rest. I'm going to try to say it slowly uh, for the rest of our time together. All right, so, so let's look at the first one cross uh, uh, creation rest. Now, you, I'm going to jump through the passage a little bit because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to some parts and then kind of skip around, but you, you'll see where we're going. I'll read it as we go. But the first one, creation rest. I'm going to look again at verse three where it said, <clears throat> for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, 
We're familiar with the creation account. Most of us are familiar with the creation account. God created the earth, and in six days, he formed, he fashioned, he shaped, he, he created all that we know, the sun, the moon, the stars, the waters, the lands, the mountains, the, the animals, the humans, like everything we know he created, the universe, the galaxies, in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, this rest was a recognition that his work was finished. This rest wasn't because he was tired or exhausted. It was a rest out of satisfaction. That's why he said, this is good. This is very good. It was a, it was a rest from realizing that this work that he had accomplished was done, and he was satisfied with it. And this rest, modeled by God, was set out for us as a command for us to do uh, so that we would kind of do the same things. Now, that we would work, that we would be satisfied with the work that God had given us to do, and we would rest in in, in the presence of God and and worship of God from that that work and and be satisfied in everything that God had given us to set our hands to. We've heard the phrase, all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy, but I would say all work and no rest uh, makes us exhausted, tired, And it makes us foolish because the initiation of creation rest in its practice for us in our lives is the acknowledgement in and of itself that we are not God. That we can't work seven days a week and expect to have fruitful work. That we are a people that need rest because we were created in that way. We were created in the way that God had caused us to work and work really well, but then also to rest really well. Uh, it's the same principle here that, that if, if someone doesn't rest, it's the same principle when someone doesn't give, when someone doesn't tithe, that we don't trust God, that he can do more with our 90%, let's say, than we can with the 100%. And, and it's the same thing with rest, that we don't think God can do with six days what we can do with seven days. And so we don't rest. And, and so I want to push on that principle just a hair right now to say that we are a people that need rest. We're created to, this is why we need sleep too. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need that. We do. Every time we lay our head on our pillow, we are acknowledging that we are not God, right? Because we need that and we need that to to work well for the glory of God. So, so that's the creation rest. We're familiar with that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I want to talk about Canaan rest for just a moment. Now, Remember, the Israelites are, are freed from Egypt. They're heading through the desert. They're about to enter into the promised land. They are rejected uh, because they lack faith to go into the promised land. They sent 12 spies in, and they came back, and 10 of them said, we can't do this. Those people are huge. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, you cowards. Yes, we can do it. God is on our side. Let's go take it. The people refuse. So they don't do it, and they, and they in disbelief, in lack of faith, they, they don't trust God, and, and they wander in the wilderness for, for 40 years. Now, God still promised to give the Israelites this promised land. Now, he killed off an entire generation before they were able to enter in. But it was a promise that still stood for the people of God. And this, this land, they talked about it. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, right? It was to provide for them protection and, and rest. And it was Joshua who ends up leading them into that promised land. And, uh, and to some extent, that promised 
rest was realized. I want to read to you an account from Joshua 21, verse 44. It just says, The Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their fathers. So in some extent, they realized that rest. But in a greater extent, in a greater reality, they missed the purpose of that rest, the greater rest of God. Canaan rest was great, but and even creation rest is great, but both of those are a shadow of our real rest to be found in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so that's the, that's the rest uh, that, the, that, that creation rest and Canaan rest was ultimately pointing to. And so that's why the text, and we're going to read it in just a second, says that Jesus was a better Joshua because he was a better Joshua. Joshua attempted to bring rest to the people of God, and he couldn't bring a rest. But Jesus is the one, through his work and finished work on the cross, brings us to the rest that we need in him. It's new, it's, it's, the new covenant is the better covenant. It's the better rest. Uh, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is contrasting that with the old rest that, that we're talking about. So let me read, and, and I, I want to be clear here. Uh, I think that the writer of Hebrews is continuing to point to Psalm 95 to say that there was a rest beyond that rest of Canaan, and that's realized in the continuous uh, acknowledgement that there's a rest to come, right? So uh, in, in the beginning rest, it said, Psalm 95 says, this is David, there's a rest coming. Right? And there's a rest to come. So this was long after they went into Canaan. It was long after that the Israel took over the promised land. That this says there's still a rest for those who would have it. And so that it's talking about a greater rest than just entering Israel. So when we talk about rest, we're not just talking about the place of Israel or the promised land, but we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what the New Testament continues to point us to. So let's, let's read 6 uh, again through, through 10. It says, Since therefore it remains... For some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. Uh, again, he points a, uh, points a certain day today, saying, Through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So Joshua anticipates Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, Joshua is, is uh, Jesus is, it, the name Jesus is the name Joshua in the Greek, right? So uh, it's, it's just uh, a play on name and word here just to say that Jesus is the greater Joshua. It's really saying Joshua is the greater Joshua. But Jesus that we know is Jesus the Christ is the one that was able to give us the rest to come. And that was, is what Psalm 95 was talking about. That's what the Hebrews is connecting Psalm 95 to, that he can give us this better rest, this new and final and better Joshua, that the rest is found in him. Now, I want to read verses 1 and 2 before we talk about uh, the rest that we find in Christ, the cross rest. Verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because 
They were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, now we get to the third rest, the cross rest. And we, what we see here is the promise of entering his rest still stands through the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. But the text says this, it says, let us fear lest any of us fail to reach it. Again, this is not a plea to recapture the nation of Israel and, and to find that rest. It's a plea to consider Jesus. We've been marching through Hebrews, the beginning of the letter from chapter 1 up to chapter 4, and the entirety of the message has been look at Christ, look to Jesus, consider Jesus. And now the author is saying that there is a greater rest than that of creation, and there's a greater rest than that of Canaan. Consider Jesus. Jesus is that, that Sabbath rest. We find that Sabbath rest in him. Now, one of the things that the passage clearly points out here uh, is that, that simply hearing the message of the gospel is insufficient for salvation. You can't just hear the gospel and be good to go. That There is a, 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 a faith that you have to have, a belief, that you would call upon the name of the Lord, that you would believe and, and trust in the finished work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Now, notice it says that the same good news was given to them as it was given to us. Now, this is kind of a theological principle that I want to be clear on, that, that I believe that the Old Testament saints were saved in the same way that we're saved. Now, what that means is they, 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 the way that they have life in, 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 in Christ and are saved and in eternity forever is by faith, just as ours is by faith. Now, their faith was a little different in that it was a forward-looking faith, right? They had the promises given to them of Messiah to come. They had the, the gospel given them, the pro, proto-evangelion, which is in Genesis 3.15. So from the very beginning, God said he was going to provide a way that crushes the head of the serpent, that, that remedies sin, that draws them back into the right relationship with God. So they had a, a forward-looking faith uh, that they were holding and clinging to. It's why Abraham is said that it was uh, according to his faith that is accredited to him as righteousness. So even that how they came to faith in Christ was through a forward faith. Same thing for us. We look back, though, in hindsight, on the work that Jesus, that promised Messiah came, that promised Messiah lived, uh, was born of a virgin, lived the life uh, that he was uh, a perfect life that he was said to live. And, and then he was crucified on the cross as a substitute for our sins. And eyewitness accounts that he had risen from the dead and walked uh, around and then ascended into heaven. And it is this Christ that we look back on and we believe that. And that faith is accredited to us as, as righteousness through his accomplished work on the cross. So we both have a faith that looks towards the Messiah. So they're saved in the same way that, that, that we're saved. And now we have a fuller picture. We had a greater revelation. We had less excuses. Um, and so we could see and we have the word of God and we have a church history and have all these things. But the only appropriate response to the gospel message is faith. That's the only way that we're gonna have Salvation in him is by trusting him in faith. Israel heard these promises of God uh, and, and the warnings of God, but they didn't respond in faith. They either perished in the wilderness, the first generations that came through, or the, uh, you know, their life in Canaan wasn't so great either. You know, it wasn't long after this that they're captured by uh, Babylon and Assyria. 
and so and 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 dispersed from their land. And so there had to be a greater rest than just living in the nation of Israel. And, and so so David, you talk about faith. What is it? What what do you mean when you say you have to have faith in Christ? I like to explain faith like this. I, I think there's a I think faith has three aspects to it. And, th- and the best way that I can kind of illustrate this is by thinking about a chair. Uh, some of you maybe heard me do this before, but 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 th- I think there's three aspects to faith. One first aspect of faith is cognitive assent. Cognitive assent. Which just means, like, if I'm looking at a chair, I believe that to be a chair. Why do I believe it to be a chair? Because I believe that a chair has four legs and a back, and if someone sat in it, they, it would hold them up. I, I cognitively understand what a chair is, and if I see a chair, yes, th- that's a chair, right? What cognitive ascent looks like in Christianity and, 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 and faith in Christ is, yes, I, I I understand what Christ has accomplished, right? Like, I I understand that Jesus was born of a virgin. He came and lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose three days later, uh, conquering death forever and sin forever, and that he ascended alive, and he's sitting at the right hand of God Almighty. I I, I get that. I cognitively understand that. But then there's a second aspect of faith, which I just call functional agreement, which just means... If I'm looking at that chair, I believe it to be a chair, cognitive ascent, but then functional agreement that I believe if I were to sit in that chair, that that chair, barring it being not a faulty chair, that that chair would hold me. And the same thing is true of Christianity, that, that we have a functional agreement that, that the cross of Christ and his sacrifice there is sufficient to save me from my own sins. That, that, that he died on the cross as a substitute for my sins. That my sins were placed upon him. We're, remember a few weeks ago, if you, if you missed this, go look at it online where we talked about that the propitiation, that my sins were placed upon him and he experienced the wrath of God instead of me and that his righteousness was given to me instead of, and, and, and that he had earned was given to me. That's how we're able to be into heaven because we have no sin is placed on Christ and and he's given us his own righteousness so we stand as perfect before the eyes of God we're justified completely justified now functional agreement is I understand that that is sufficient for me I get that I get that I can be saved that I'm a sinner I came into this world a sinner and that if I trust in that that I will be saved and then it leads us to the third um, level of faith or aspect of faith it's just trusting action so I cognitively believe that that is a chair. I functionally believe that that's going to hold me if I sit in it. But at some level, if I'm going to have a genuine faith, i got to sit in the chair. I have to sit down in the chair. And this is true of Christianity. What a, a, a faith that has a trusting action in it is that I'm holding on to nothing else but Christ. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm not trusting in my own merit. I'm not trusting in good deeds. I'm not trusting in my grandmama's faith. I'm not trusting anything. All my eggs are in the basket of Christ. He's not an aspect or compartment of my life. He's everything. And I'm sitting in the chair of faith. I'm I'm putting all my hope in him. And that's what it looks like to, 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 to have a faith that is a saving faith. To put your trust fully in him. So I guess the question for us to individually ask ourselves is, have you sat, so to speak, in the chair? Have you trusted in Christ fully? Now, I think it's interesting to know that the author talks about fear, that we, that we should fear lest we miss it, lest we miss the rest of God and, and be left out. 
You know, what's fascinating about this use of the word fear, it's, the, it's in first person plural, which just, just means that the author is including himself, right? So this is not, because a lot of us, if we've been in church a long time, we say, okay, yeah, that's for, that's for weak Christians, and that's for people that, that really don't have their stuff together. I've got my stuff together, so I have no reason to fear that I'll miss out on these things. No, no, no. The, the author is including himself in that fear, that, that we should have a healthy fear. Uh, and so it's, it, it's including him in that exhortation, that we, we should fear lest we miss the rest and, and, and miss God. And so this isn't just a warning for weak Christians. This is a warning for, for all of us. And, and I think one of the dangers for being, you know, there's not a lot of dangers for being in a really healthy church that preaches the gospel every week, but there probably is one danger of, of being in a healthy church that preaches the gospel weekly, and that is that you might get so comfortable with the gospel that you forget that it applies to you. That you get so comfortable with hearing over and over the gospel, that you actually forget to sit in that chair itself. You believe it, you believe it's for you, but you forget to actually sit in the faith chair. It's kind of like being on a flight. Um, if you've flown a lot, you, you'll understand this. You get on the plane, you know, and uh, if you, if you, uh, uh, you know, fly anything other than Southwest and you have an assigned seat. If you're Southwest and you kind of got to come in and elbow people out of the way, you know. But, but anyway, so you're getting on the plane and what do you do? You get, you get in your seat, you sit down and, uh, and you, you begin to get your stuff out. You take out the aisle seat so, and you don't make eye contact with anybody coming down so they won't sit next to you, right? Now you're hoping those seats are empty and that they stay empty. And, uh, and so, and you're getting ready for the flight. You pull out your whatever, your ear pods or you th- your, your neck pillow. You're like getting your stuff ready, putting your stuff up, and you're buckling up. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the, the plane begins to, to taxi. And then the, the, the flight attendant gets up there, and she does her whole, they do their whole shtick, right? The, the, you know, the, the exits in the windows, and then, you know, do these. And under your seat, there's a life thing. And, you know, if, if, there's, uh, if all the air disappears, there's a thing going to drop out of the deal. And do yours first, then your kids. And, you know, the whole bit. You've, you've heard the bit. And, you, matter of fact, you've heard the bit so much that you get on the plane, and what do you do? Oh, yeah. You're, send, what, you're sending last-minute texts. You're fluffing your neck pillow. You're trying to, hey, you know, making sure your stuff's all together and you're not going to fall out of the plane or something, right? And, and, and literally, this, this flight attendant is up there giving you information that could save your life. And you don't care. You got to get that last episode of, you know, whatever in before the Internet cuts out, right? And we just don't. We just heard it so much that we ignore it. I was on a flight with Jose one time, and Jose has got this unique ability to sleep entire flights. And literally, I don't think the lady was done doing her thing, and he's sawing logs. First of all, I'm jealous of that, for one. But that's what we do. We get in there, and we, don't, we ignore that and, because we've heard it before. It's familiar to us. And so let's just get in the air. And uh, so often I think that can happen with us, that we come in here and we hear the gospel and we say, okay, I'm familiar with that. Let's get on to something else. Instead of sitting in the beauty of the gospel and really sitting in the rest of the beauty of the gospel and letting it continue to take 
effect on us. So we should have some fear that we have forgotten it and miss out. And there should be some weight to it. There should be some fear. There's a reason the Bible implores us to test and see that we're in the faith. There's, there's warning there. To, with fear and trembling, see if we're his. Because there's some weight to it. We want, we, you know, we don't want to get to the end and say, oh, man, I missed it. <laughs> we want to say, yo, I, I know he's my everything. He's, he, he, was, he was all I had. He, all my faith was in him, in him alone. And so I also think, though, and we'll see kind of towards the end of this text, that fear is a stimulus to action. It, it should move us uh, to uh, strive to enter that rest, is what the text says in a moment. So, on a more practical level, what does rest look like for us? I, I, I was reading this thing, and I thought put it in, in a great format for us, that first, it is peace with God. True rest uh, is only found in peace with God, meaning that you are a child of God. You have been saved. You are his, that you, that you are fully justified in the presence of God. Your soul will have no peace and therefore no rest if there's turmoil and, and a wrong relationship between you and God. You need right relationship with God, and that is only found through his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. And so Peace with God only comes by Jesus having accounted for your sins, paid for your sins, and given you his own righteousness so that you have access to God the Father through his Son. So there's a justification aspect of peace with God. There's also a, 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 uh, a, guilt, a freedom from guilt aspect of peace with God, meaning uh, sin can't be in two places at one time. So if your sin has been placed on Christ and paid for in the cross of Christ, it therefore can't rest on you. So you, as Romans 8.1 says, have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you have rest and a peace from feeling condemned by your own sin. And that can only happen from faith in Christ. It's also true that justice can't be satisfied on a sin twice. If Jesus took your sin on the cross, paid for it, and said, it is finished, then he meant it. It is finished, paid for, redeemed. And so you have a rest because you have right standing with God. You have peace with God because Through Christ, your sin has been atoned for, and through Christ, a righteousness has been accredited to you uh, that that you have right standing with God. So you have peace with him. But then you also have the peace of God. See, rest is not just lay up on your couch and take a nap. Rest is not just sleep or idleness. That's laziness, right? That's not rest. That's laziness. Rest is found in service and worship of God. It's found, you know, you're not just supposed to take a day off and do nothing. You're supposed to take a day off from work to worship the creator of the world. That's what rest is. That's what creative rest was. That's what, that's what the cross rest is. For us to, to take time to serve and worship him. Now, I, I was studying through the beginning of Genesis um, 
at the beginning of this year. And one of the things that hit me was when, when God uh, took rest, remember he worked six days and then he rested from his work, not out of exhaustion, but because he was satisfied in his work. That's a, that's a good principle for us to do. But, but notice when Christ came, accomplished the work on the cross, said it is finished, then the church began to worship on the, on the Lord's day, which was Sunday, the first day of the week, right? Sabbath was Saturday, right, for, for Israel, and for Hebrews, for Jews. And, and then the church began to worship uh, God on Sunday, on the Lord's day, right? And that began to be a thing. That's why we're gathered in here today on a Sunday, because, of those, because Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. But notice what it does to our aspect of rest. Rest... Still is to some degree, but used to be only for a recovery from the work that we have done. Now, in Christ, it's not necessarily just a recovery from the work that we've done, but it is a, uh, a resting in the finished work of Christ to be able to accomplish the work that he has for us to begin the week. And so we're not just coming into a Sabbath day tired, exhausted, oh man, I just need a day off. No, we're coming in to worship the Lord. Why? So that we can be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work and the mission that he has for us to accomplish and and work towards. The good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to do, he is giving us a rest and a vision of the gospel and a peace in him so that we can accomplish that work. So we don't rest just for... uh, rest from our exhaustion, but we work and we rest for his exaltation through our work. It's a shift of ideology. It's a shift of of thinking. Now, there's a little side sermon here that I want to give you is that it is counterproductive for you. If this is true, then it is counterproductive for you to miss church because you need more rest for your work. You got so many things off, and this is what you hear from the world, right? You invite people to church and say, oh, that's my only day to sleep in. Okay, well, you have an idea of rest that, that, that is only your sleep number, and you're not actually getting rest. That's not rest. Rest comes through the worship and service of our great God. So if you want to access greater rest, it's found in the worship and service of him. It's slowing down from the pace of the world. And not just, to, not just to slow down from the pace of the world, but to, but to worship God as he deserves. That's how we find true rest. Anecdotally, if you complain about your work all the time, I want to I venture to you that you don't have a work problem, you have a worship problem. You have a worship problem. Meaning, you don't know that it is God that puts you in the job that you have to bring him glory. And you don't realize that it's God who gave you the breath in your lungs to be able to walk through your, the job doors every single day so that you can work to bring him glory. You don't understand that it's God that has put you in that position to be a light in a dark place. You, you see, you don't have a work problem. You, you, you complain about your work, complain about your work. You, you have a worship problem. You don't realize you've compartmentalized Jesus to just Sunday mornings and not Monday mornings. And so if we worship Christ rightly, then we would Work rightly. And, and, and come what may. Now, now, you might also need to understand that maybe God hasn't moved you from this position of work because you haven't been trustworthy with the little for him to give you more. You haven't worshipped him in your job, so why would he give you a greater job? Why would he change your position? 
If you're just going to complain and not be a light for Christ, and who, who, who wants, you, you don't have a word problem, you have a worship problem. So come to the Lord to see rightly where he has put you and why. Come to the Lord to find the rest that you need to accomplish the work that he's called you to accomplish. Come and worship him rightly so that you can work rightly in a way that brings him glory and honor. Now, I want to read to you Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, and it says this, and I've got to fly. I'm, I'm, um, it says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is salvific. This is justification between you and God Almighty. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus speaking. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is our worship. This is our rest in the blessings that God gives to us for this life. So we we see in this text a rest for our souls forever and a rest for our souls now. That we rest in him and work for him for his name's sake and glory's sake. Now let me finish out the text in Hebrews, back to Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore, therefore why? All the rest that had just been mentioned and having a fear that we'd enter that rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that one may fall by the same, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, okay? Paul's, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. How? Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Strive to enter his rest. How? Through the word of God. I think something to take note here. Again, napping is not rest. It could be restful, but it's not in and of itself rest. I'm going to go home today, probably take a nap. (laughs) Naps are good. They're not evil. They're great. But that's not the sole purpose. That's not the sole access to rest. How do we strive? Which striving tells us to work towards it. How do we do that? Through the word of God. Through Jesus Christ, as the revelation of God, through the written word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And striving, if you've been with us through Hebrews, is the opposite of drifting. We cling close to the Lord. We, we grow in spiritual maturity, not accidentally, but by laboring over the word of God, being diligent to to intake the very word of God. And then notice the text, just walking through it. It says, the word of God is living and active. This is not a dead book. The Holy Spirit is speaking. You say, I don't hear from God, but I also don't read my Bible. Uh, I can't help you, but read the Bible. This is how God primarily speaks to us. It's living. It's active. It's not like, it's not like any other book. There's no other book like this book. No other book can cut you like this book and encourage you like this book and speak a word over you like this book. It's living and active. And then look what it says. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul, the spirit of joints and of marrow, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the, the, the double-edged sword was the sharpest instrument that he knew to write about. He's saying that this word can cut. And this may be why you avoid it. 
Because you might have sin that you, you know you don't want cut. That's the, that's the beauty of the word of God. To strive to enter the rest of Christ. Let the word do the, what, what the word does on us. And sometimes that's surgery. Sometimes that's cutting out. But it's, I promise you, for your greatest good. For a great rest. For a fuller realization of Jesus Christ. And then look, there's no creature that is hidden from his sight. You're, look. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I might not know everything about your life, but someone does. It's not hidden. God knows all. And he wants to use the word of God to to cut, to encourage, to build up both you individually and the church. Why? So that we can enter into the rest of Christ, both now and forever. I want to read you a quote from Spurgeon as we close, but it just says this. Blessed is the man who knows the word of the Lord by its exceeding sharpness. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Blessed is the man who knows the word of the Lord by its exceeding sharpness. For it kills nothing but that which ought to be killed. It quickens and gives new life to all that is of God. But the old, depraved life, which ought to die, it hews in pieces. This is what the word of God does. Let us be a church that continues to strive to enter that rest through his word. And let us be a church who also understands the peace with God, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sin has been paid for on the cross Justice has been satisfied. The wrath of God poured out and we don't bear it any longer. What a freedom and a peace in us because of that. That's a rest of hearing that truth, that gospel truth. But then there's a peace of God that we walk in the fruit of the spirit. We walk according to his word and we live lives with intentionality in our work and in our vacation that we would honor God in all those things and be restful. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and um, we long to enter into the rest of God. And for those in here that haven't entered into the eternal rest of God, they haven't trusted you, they haven't, they haven't sat in the chair, they haven't put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray that they would do that today. And I'm going to be down here in the front if any need counsel through salvation after this service. I would love to pray with you. And Father, I pray that for those of us that are believers, that we wouldn't grow numb to the gospel, but that the gospel will continue to push us towards greater rest in Christ in our days. And maybe if we evaluate our lives and we experience nothing but exhaustion, um, hatred of our work, just busy bodying and no no life uh, that we would bring that sin to you and you would correct our worship because we want to work appropriately to the glory of God in all things and we want to rest appropriately to the glory of God in all things 
We want to worship God when we're laboring on the, on the assembly line. And we want to worship God when we're sitting around a, a T-bone steak and a glass of wine. But we want to worship God when, when we are uh, in, the, in the hard days of our work. And we want to worship God when we are at the beach. We want to worship God on Monday. And we certainly want to worship you on Sunday. And so let us appropriate well the rest of God in our days. Let us fear a healthy fear that moves us to action lest we miss it and not experience all you have for us in these days. We love you, Lord. Have your way in us as we uh, go out our week and be glorified by us, your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We hope you found encouragement, inspiration, and biblical truth that will challenge you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city and to the church and to see disciples who follow him wholeheartedly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. This will help us reach more people with a life-changing message of the gospel. You can also visit our website at gospelcitynow.com to learn more about our church and our ministry. Remember, the gospel is not just a message to be heard, it's to be lived. So let us be sent out this week boldly bringing hope, love, and truth to the city and the church. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to next time.